Hello, everybody. My name is Larry Dobrow. I'm MMM's senior editor, and I'd like to welcome you to today's edition of the MMM podcast. Uh, we have a great one today, someone we've been chasing down for a while. It's uh, David Lenetsky, Senior Vice President of Life Sciences at Freesia. Um, we'll be speaking with David in a second, but first, a couple of quick plugs. Um, on Thursday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, we'd love for you to join us at the first ever MMM Expo, in which you'll be treated to sessions about AI and patient engagement and more. Plus, there are virtual event booths with trivia and giveaways, and we know that everybody loves trivia and giveaways. We all miss our trivia and giveaways in the uh, everyone stay at home era. Um, and M&M's cover contest for its Hall of Femmes September issue, um, we're asking anyone and everyone to share creative around the topic of inspiring female leadership in healthcare marketing. The deadline for that is July 31st, and you can find out more information at mmm-online.com. And finally, MMM invites you, our community, to join us for MMM Move Together, a five-day fitness challenge with a charitable component that will take place from August 24th to August 28th, uh, later this summer. Uh, hopefully, we'll raise a little bit of money. Hopefully, we'll all get outside and sweat a little bit. That's uh, coming up soon. And let's turn to today's podcast. David, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Larry. Thanks for having me. Uh, we chatted a little bit before I went on my uh, massive plug run right there. But, um, you know, when we have these conversations now, ordinarily to jump right in on a topic, but I feel the first question should be, how are you? How is Freesia? How has everybody been doing during this unprecedented period? Oh, well, thank you, Larry. Um, we, we have been doing very, very well. I would say, uh, you know, all things considered, uh, I'm doing well. I'm here and have been for the last four months in, in my apartment in Brooklyn. And um, Freesia has, has also adapted very well to, to life and operations during the pandemic. Um, it's been a really interesting uh, few months that have just really flown by. A lot of exciting changes, uh, but yeah, overall, really great, uh, great adaptation. I mean, Freesia was very lucky in this respect. Uh, large parts of our company were already remote, and so you know, we had as a company, we'd become really accustomed to things like managing and supporting our employees uh, wherever they live. You know, and many of them are spread across the country, um, and have been for many years. So. It's been it's been a interesting but uh, productive time. When when you know when Freesia, I don't want to say flipped the switch because every company did it at its own pace. Yeah. But we, you know, when it became obvious that everybody was going to be going virtual, pretty much, regardless of where you are. Um, tell me a little bit about the process. Tell me a little bit about how you managed it so well. Um, sure. I uh, you know as I said, a, a lot of our company was already remote and had been for many years. Mm -hmm. I think we had. Uh, certainly more than 100 employees already that were spread across the country and working from home and in various places. Um, we had three uh, large physical offices, one in New York, one in Raleigh, and one in Ottawa, Canada. Um, you know, and we, uh, we in mid-March, we moved all of those folks to, to working from home. Um, look, we have, we're a technology company. Um, we've been doing uh, and building software for 15 years, and all of that software has been on a software as a service model. So we're really accustomed to building products and managing them remotely. Um, so you know that that part was was pretty seamless, right? I mean, all of our data centers, all of our technology was already managed remotely that way. Um, so we were very lucky there. Um, you know, in terms of in terms of moving folks from physical offices to working from home. Look, we recognize that there were some real social benefits from getting together and from office life. And those have been really tough to replace during the pandemic. Um, 
But yeah. I think we continue to evolve, you know, and we, we continue to find ways to support our employees and, and teams and foster community among them. Uh, one of the things we've been doing is encouraging some employees to, to get together in various ways out, outdoors and, and, and to hang out with each other and to foster some of those relationships and, and maintain, you know, safety and social distancing and wear masks, but, but to get together. And um, I think that that's a really, really important part. It has been of our culture and will continue to be. Um, you know, one of the really big changes we had to do is figure out how to implement our products remotely as well. And I think that was a big challenge um, that, that we were able to, to really rise to very quickly. Um, you know, traditionally, we offered a really high-touch service to our clients where we'd go on site and implement their products in person. Um, and in the first couple of weeks in, of the pandemic, we had to figure out how to do that remotely. So we, you know, we took a lot of staff internally. We beefed up our implementation team. We moved some of our sales development folks to implementation. And um, you know we had to handle a big surge in demand for our products, uh, but really within those last couple of weeks, we were able to fully transition to remote implementations, and we're now able to to remotely implement a client in in two to ten days, depending on their size. Uh, how were those initial conversations with clients? Um, what were some of the concerns that were raised during the early ones, and what did Prezia do to address them? Yeah, I, I, it's a great question. I think the main concern on both sides, both you know, both from our staff and our company and our clients, was was safety, right? And so everybody wanted to use our use these products, and specifically, and I'll, and I'll talk about this maybe later in the podcast. A, a lot of our products were designed to create safe working environments, and so we wanted to make sure that we were providing safe working environments for our employees, but also for the staff at our practices, right? And so we wanted to minimize those in-person interactions as much as possible and even eliminate them in most cases. And so I think our, our clients were incredibly appreciative. Their, their main concern was getting this stuff live as quickly as possible, but as safely as possible. And so uh, we were able to address that by using many of the incredible technologies available to us today, things like, like the technologies we're using to record this from our, from our bedrooms. <laughs> yeah, in my case, the uh, child's bedroom. Hopefully, you're in a much, uh, much more adult setting than uh, than I am right now. Um, yeah, you know the 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 idea that we were all you know, we all became technologists on such you know such a short time frame. But you know, Freesia has been in the technology business for some time. Um, let, let, let's talk a little bit about you know the the ancient days way back in February. There was this sense that point of care was really surging that, you know, after, you know, the unpleasantness with outcome health a couple of years ago, that, you know, POC3 and the other organizations had really banded together in a way to strengthen point of care. Um, do, you, do you feel that what's happened over the last couple of months has cut into that? Or, you know, based on what Freesia has done with intake for telehealth and what some of the other organizations have done, that point of care really, you know, has, you know, pivoted and just turned around and kept doing what it does. That's a really interesting question, Larry. I, I think that um, I think you're absolutely right. You know, prior to the pandemic, we had seen, I think, a, a couple of years of really strong and tremendous growth in, in the space. I think it was excellent. I think everybody recognized the importance of, of engaging patients, you know, in that in that setting. Um, and, you know, the POC3 had done tremendous work in in giving the industry confidence. Uh, giving our, our clients confidence in the industry and in a lot of work on validation and verification and in and, and various other efforts. Um, so incredibly proud of, of that organization. 
but yeah, certainly the pandemic really turned a lot of things upside down. So I think that, you know, that when I think about PLC three in, you know, the, the before times in, in February, which now seems like it was a hundred years ago, um, <laughs> it was really, really dominated by like place-based media, right? So there, I think PLC was characterized by a real reliance on, on waiting rooms and based on the assumption that patients would gather and spend time there. Um, you know, other tactics existed as well um, that operated on different models. You know, Freesia in particular has always been a little bit different and focused on one-to-one on -one engagement with patients and, and targeting based on individual characteristics rather than location. Um, you know, that, that really changed things. And so I think what we've seen is, is huge shifts within the industry as people try and adapt to this new environment, right? The, the very concept of the point of care as, as being focused on this physical location within, a, within the four walls of the office has been changing, right? And I think this has really accelerated that change. It's made the idea of the point of care a little bit more ephemeral, right? You have patients now engaging with their providers in all kinds of different ways and, and places, right? So they, they might be in their cars in the parking lot. They might be at home. They might be doing it through their mobile phone. They might be doing it through another device, another digital device. So that, that the whole concept of point of care has changed. And I think that, you know, many of the companies I've seen, including Freesia, have really risen to that challenge, have uh, adapted very, very quickly. And I think that we'll continue to see um, a huge emphasis placed on, on this type of engagement. And I think the point of care will, will continue to be uh, as important as it was, if not more important than ever. You know, that, that actually leads into another question I have, and it might be a silly one, uh, because obviously nothing in the big picture nothing good came out of the COVID pandemic. But in, in a lot of ways, the fact that it did force the hand of so many organizations, not just within the point of care space, but in healthcare marketing in general. I mean, ultimately, are we gonna remember this, you know, strictly on the business side of things as an accelerating event and probably a good one? Uh, you know, it, it's, it's tough to really look that far into the future and, and make predictions, but I, I suspect that you're absolutely right about that. I think that, I think in many ways, um, a lot of us will come out of this with much more robust technologies, with much better ways of engaging patients. I mean, Freesia has been incredibly lucky, I think, in the sense that the pandemic has really highlighted the value of some of our products in in just incredibly obvious ways. So we've we've had a, I think, a surge in demand because of that, because people recognize that the ability to engage with patients digitally, to intake patients digitally, to, to automate many of the administrative tasks and clinical tasks that have to happen in a practice are done better through technology or done more safely through technology. So even when we are through this incredibly dangerous time, I think that the value of those products will remain, right? A lot of these new ways these new workflows, these new ways of engaging with patients and delivering care will persist. And I think there's tremendous opportunity there for, for companies like Freesia, other technology companies and, 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 and other, other companies in the space. Um, you've already addressed this a little bit, but um, t tell me about, you know, in, in addition to some of the kind of the, what's the word I'm looking for here, almost the setup, almost the basic, the basics of your business, but what, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced and how did Freesia get past them over the last couple of months? Yeah, I, I would say our biggest challenge was really just figuring out how to best support all of our main stakeholders through, through the challenges of the pandemic. Um, you know, so patients and caregivers 
They still required care. They still required information, perhaps more than ever. Um, our providers and practices, of course, and their staff uh, needed to continue to operate and deliver care and to do that safely. And, and our pharma and agency partners, you know, they needed to be able to continue to support patients, right? And they needed to continue to engage with them and, and deliver important information. So that was our main focus, was, was supporting all three of those stakeholder groups in getting through these challenging times. And, you know, we did so many things in parallel at the outset of the pandemic, it's, it's hard to even know where to start to talk about it. Um, but I think perhaps the, the biggest undertaking was adapting our products. Right, so adapting our product to support our existing providers and practices so they can continue to operate safely. Um, and we took a really multi-pronged approach there. Uh, so we started in early February. This actually started, I think, in from some, um, we had some client requests even in January to help them screen patients for, for COVID risk as, as COVID was starting to become a news item here. And um, so in, in mid-February, we started rolling out a COVID-19 risk screening module so the practices could identify patients at risk in advance of their arrival and be able to triage them and, and direct them and support them appropriately when they when they arrived. Um, you know, and then very quickly, we started to adapt our product to support zero contact workflows. And I think this is something that's incredibly important now and will continue to persist. Um, so we integrated things like two-way texting into our product, uh, allowing practices to communicate with patients um, really easily to allow patients coming in to the office to be seen in a really safe manner, uh, to you know wait in the parking lot, to wait outside, to be informed when it when it's ready to come in and go directly into the exam room. So a lot of tools to allow to really minimize the interaction between patients and other patients and patients and staff, um, and and try and keep everybody safe while continuing to allow patients to come in and and, and seek care. Um, and then finally, you know, we released a zero contact, uh, sorry, a, a intake for telehealth solution, right? We saw an incredibly rapid uptake in telehealth in, in early March and early April, late March and early April. Um, you know, that was due to some regulatory changes and obviously just the need to be able to continue to treat patients. Um, and so what we realized very early on in, in conversations with our practices was that all of those administrative tasks, all of those clinical tasks, things like collecting patient information and checking insurance and, and um, you know, screening them for risk and getting them to sign consent, all of those things still need to happen, whether a patient is coming in for an in-person visit or a virtual visit. And so we were able to take our, our existing intake workflows and adapt them to integrate with all of the major existing uh, telehealth providers, right? And so what that looked like was a really seamless experience for patients, right? That's always been a focus of ours, is improving the experience of healthcare. And so we wanted to make that experience as seamless as possible for patients. So whether they were coming in in person, whether that was gonna be through some modified workflow that involves waiting in their car, or whether that involved a telehealth appointment, we wanted that experience of registration and intake to be the same across, really consistent across all of those different modes of, of, uh, of, of communicating with the practice. So that was you know, really, really exciting. Um, we did a lot of that work very, very quickly and got it out to the market very quickly. Um, and so it was an incredibly exciting time and you know, it was really inspiring to see our whole company and in particular our engineering and product organization um, really step up and, and meet this challenge head on. Um, and so you know, I think we, we've been, we were really fortunate here too. Um, you know, we've been developing mobile solutions for years and so it was an incredibly easy pivot to go to fully mobile solutions, in, particularly during those first few weeks when, when lockdown orders were in place and we were really instituting social distancing and 
practices were, were canceling all of their appointments, in-person appointments, um, having a, a fully mobile solution was just incredibly valuable and, and made that pivot so much easier for us. Um, and you know, it allowed us to to really um, to really to really aid our, our our clients and agency partners as well, right? So they were all looking for ways to continue to engage with patients. Um, we knew that patients were still seeking care, albeit in in sort of new ways. Um, and because the intake process for us looked the same in all of these new ways, we were able to just continue delivering content in much the same way that we were before. You know, we really wanted to also leverage our ability to target patients, to understand why they were coming in. So we instituted a lot of things like, you know, we, we really wanted to support patients seeking care for their underlying conditions. So if somebody was coming in for diabetes, say, we wanted to be able to give them really relevant information about their diabetes, about relevant treatments. But we also recognized that if they were coming in with COVID symptoms, that probably wasn't the right time to talk to them about their diabetes. And so, you know, we were able to use the, the data from our COVID risk screening to sort of take those patients and deliver COVID information to them, but continue to support our patients with other kinds of content if they were coming in for other reasons, right? And so I think that was incredibly valuable um, for, our, for our advertisers, for our marketers. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, we was, uh, it, it was a really exciting time in terms of those, those product changes. And of course, we also just had huge communication challenges too, right? So all of our clients and stakeholders faced massive information overload, right? So at the beginning of the pandemic, there was information being communicated from from every different direction, and it was hard to know what was important. Um, so we you know we stood up our COVID nineteen status page, we updated it regularly to help minimize sending too many communications, um, and just to provide the critical updates to our clients. Um, we we had people opt in for our digest updates and sign up for our webinars. We started producing webinars every week, um, and I think you know the other thing that the other challenge that we faced was how do we sort of let people know what is really happening in practices? And I think that there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty, um, particularly in our, in, in our agency partners and pharma partners, marketers were really uncertain about what was going on in offices. And so we were able to leverage all of this real world data that we get through conducting our business to, to help inform them. And so we, we partnered with folks from Harvard, we partnered with the Commonwealth Fund to start publishing a series of reports that I think were really, really useful for, for many par partners and we continue to do those. And, um, and we were able to, to conduct webinars for, for our clients and partners, really giving them insight into what was happening in our offices. Those webinars, we talked about them briefly before we started recording this conversation. But tell me a little bit about their evolution and about the challenges of starting something like that up and then making it a regular feature, really within such a short, condensed time frame. Uh, yeah, I, that's uh, that's absolutely right. We it was it, it was really a large undertaking at first. We we went out in I think um, late March, early April, with a weekly webinar. Um, doing anything on a weekly cadence is, is I think, really difficult. So it, it took a lot of time and, you know, our team really responded very well. It required a lot of different folks to collaborate, you know, our data science team, our engineering team to make the data available every week easily and to, to be able to visualize it and draw conclusions. You know, our marketing team was just instrumental in helping us organize it, helping us produce content for it. Um, but, you know, I think the format was is a great one because it also allows for, you know, it allows you to produce something really quickly. The technology now is so great and so seamless. Um, it allows it for us to, you know, do it easily from home. We didn't need special studios or recording equipment like you, you might have needed in previous times. 
And so I think that, you know, we were very, very lucky uh, when it comes to that, that this was happening in this day and age when we have these technologies available, you know, as you and I sort of talked about before this. And, um, but yeah, I think that, you know, we moved to a, now a monthly cadence, but I think as, as things have settled down a little bit and certainly our practices in the market has, has settled into sort of new ways of working. Um, but I think with the resurgence of, of COVID in a lot of states, there's, there's still a tremendous amount of uncertainty there. And so I think things like that, like our webinar um, have, have been really useful to a lot of different folks in just keeping abreast of what is actually happening out there and, and sort of cutting through some of the noise that we see in the, in the broader media landscape. You know, you know, it's such a fine line to walk. Um, and I think, you know, Fuji has done that really well. You know, on one hand, uh, what you said earlier about, you know, massive information overload about the glut of communications that started in, I guess, early March and basically didn't really stop until everybody said uncle around, you know, May or June or so. How, how did you find that balance? Was there, was it kind of just, you know, tweaking here and there? Was it just listening to what you were hearing back from your customer and audience bases and adjusting, you know, on the fly. Um, how did you, how did you walk that line? Uh, uh, Larry, I, that's a great question. We really spend a lot of time and I think we always have trying to listen to our customers and really actively soliciting feedback from them. Um, so that has just been a continual process. You know, every, every time we did one of these webinars, we reached out for feedback, we solicited questions and we use those to inform the content for the next one. So like everything that we've always done at Freesia, it's very iterative. Uh, it's the way we design products. It's the way we do everything is we, we put something out. We look at how the market's reacting to it. We talk to our customers. We talk to our stakeholders. And we incorporate that feedback. Um, but you know, on the, the other side of it too, particularly when it came to our publications, we really tried to present the facts and, and, and really minimize the amount of interpretation that we were adding at first. Because I think that... I think that there was a lot of that out there. There's a lot of people speculating on what things meant. And I think we deal with a lot of incredibly smart people. And you know what we wanted to do was supply them with the tools and the data that they needed to draw conclusions. And then we listened to them. You know, we I think many of them were incredibly well equipped to help us interpret our own data. So both in our choice of collaborators, where we collaborated with you know, these incredible researchers from Harvard and also incredible experts of the Commonwealth Fund. It's the same thing with our um, with our with our agency partners and our pharma partners. We just work with incredibly knowledgeable people. So putting the information into their hands and then hearing their feedback was a great way for us to learn as well and, and continue to iterate. Um, I think you've already partially answered this question, but I'll throw it at you again. Um, was was there was there a moment or you know um, an event or you know some kind of triggering 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 event that you know, you kind of sat back and said like, all right, we've we've gotten a handle on this. You know, we can kind of take a little bit of a breath. We've managed the worst of it. Was there that kind of eureka moment at any point? You know, I think that it really early on, we saw a lot of, um, we saw a lot of inbound interest from, from practices and from some large health systems too, that were reaching out to us and saying, you know, we need to be able to screen patients for COVID. We need to be able to intake patients in a zero contact way. And I think that was really probably the eureka moment for me and for many people at the company when we realized that not only were we thinking this way, but, you know, many, much of the market was, was 
was right there with us, right? Before we were able to really get out there and broadcast some of this stuff to the market, folks were actually coming to us and saying, we, we need technologies like these. And so, you know, one example is, um, you know, there was a recent article in June in the Wall Street Journal about Memorial Health System that implemented our zero contact intake solution. And, um, you know, that, that, that's a prime example where they really saw the value of taking these digital solutions, putting them in their ERs, in their urgent care clinics, and their other outpatient settings, and being able to safely and efficiently continue to, to conduct their operations and to deliver care. And you know, I think they say in that article that these are methods of working that they intend to use long into the future because they, they offer both safety and efficiency. And so when we started to get that kind of that external validation, um, I think that was really the, the eureka moment for me. Um, lo looking forward, um, yeah, certainly we've talked a little bit about the last couple of months. Wh where do you think the point of care space in a bigger, in kind of a bigger sense, where, where is point of care right now? I mean, certainly in certain areas, you know, COVID is still raging and others, something vaguely sort of maybe, you know, resembling normal has come back. Um, in a big picture sense, where do you think the point of care space is today vis-a-vis -vis where it was in February when, you know, this started to, uh, this started to take over. Yeah, I think that's a, a big question, Larry, but I, uh, I think, yeah, I, I would say the space right now is still in probably in flux to some extent. Right. And so I think there's still tremendous uncertainty out there. I think we're seeing a lot of really positive signs, right? So the, the point of care is forever change. Um, you know, I alluded to this earlier, that we we've gradually we're seeing the shift away from the idea of the point of care as sort of existing within these brick and mortar facilities solely and within the four walls of an office or a pharmacy. And we started to see it become slowly more ephemeral. And then that really accelerated with, with the pandemic. And I think that that broader concept of the point of care is, is not going away, right? So I think we'll continue to see companies pivot towards these more flexible models of engagement um, I think we'll continue to see a lot of innovation on the telehealth side and a lot more movement towards leveraging technologies like mobile and patients' own devices. Um, my hope and my, my prediction is that these changes in the point of care technologies are going to allow marketers to move towards really omni-channel and maybe even channelless approaches to marketing and patient engagement in the future. And so I think that that's, that's where the future is, right? That's where we see these sort of seamless uh, experiences across different ways of engaging. Patients are going to be able to engage with their providers and with, you know, with content in the way that is most convenient for them. And I, I think that the pandemic has been this incredible event to sort of catalyze some of those changes and accelerate them. Um, but I think broadly speaking, that's where we'll continue um, to see the space move and, and evolve. Which leads into my last question for you and kind of an unfair one. It's the uh, crystal ball question at a time when the future changes every couple of hours. Um, you know, what you just mentioned about, you know, the move towards omni-channel, um, seamless engagement across channels. Uh, does, does point of care come out of this thing stronger? Um, does it come out of it weaker or does it just come out of it different? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, certainly different. I mean, no doubt about it. We, we already see incredible change. It's already different. And, you know, I, and none of those changes are going to sort of revert. So I think that without a doubt, the space will be different. Um, 
I believe that the space will, will continue to grow. I think what I see in Frisia's products, I see it in, in other products, I see incredible innovations that uh, I think will drive more value than, than the technologies we were using before. So I think that, um, I think certainly there's a little bit of uncertainty still, and some of that uncertainty um, will persist, right? I mean, as you mentioned, we see resurgences in a lot of states. Um, we see climbing case COVID case counts in a lot of places and some really scary stuff happening. Um, but on the other hand, you know, one of the things that we've been seeing and reporting on is that while those, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, the, the surge in cases really led to really seismic changes and incredibly quick drops in, in visit volume, for example. But now, after months of getting ready and months of sort of technological adaptation, a lot of practices are now equipped with technologies like Freesia that allow them to sort of cope with these resurgences in much more effective ways. And so I think that these new resurgences, these new events are not going to be as disruptive as the initial parts of the pandemic. And I think we'll start to see, uh, you know, we'll start to see the market, we'll start to see practices and providers but also marketers sort of adapt to the quote unquote new normal, right? And I, and I think that means, you know, we'll, we'll start to see, particularly now as marketers are planning for next year and thinking about what the rest of the year will look like, but in particular planning for next year, I think that they're really starting to see the value in some of these new technologies. And I think that hopefully, my hope is that they'll continue to invest more. And I, my prediction is that the space will continue to grow in those companies that are able to provide really flexible and adaptable technologies will really, I think, be able to capitalize on this and will we'll, we'll be able to grow as well. David, thank you so much for helping us sort this out. Obviously, there's a lot going on and the point of care space, I think, has been uniquely affected. You know, you have the uh, initial, well, all the locations are shut down and then the industry comes back with so many good technological solutions and ones that marketers are certainly responding to. So. Thank you for uh, walking us through them. We really appreciate your time. My pleasure, Larry. It was uh, great to take part and, uh, you know, ask me back anytime. Yeah, we're going to take you up on that. You shouldn't have made the offer. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. For the MM&M podcast, this is Larry Dobrow. Many thanks to David Lunetsky from Frisia for joining us. And um, please come back next week when we'll have somebody else for you. Take care. Be safe and well. Bye-bye.